0: So there is a tool out there right now that could reduce the world carbon by 0.5%, or pretty much what the UK generates in the entire year. So we could make the UK zero carbon. It's the intangible bits around, okay,
1: what's the mental
0: health of that person? Does that person
1: go home at the end of the day thinking, really love my job and 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 I, I, I can't wait to I come back, back tomorrow, tomorrow. To that. You
0: should be making your employees' lives better. Yeah, Like you shouldn't be coming to work and going, look, you need to chase my profit because I need a new Ferrari, I need a new Porsche.
2: <laughs> and then a natural disaster happens, it's like,
3: well, I've said I've done it now, so we'll just move on. No one's going to pull me up. So, so what should a business owner do then? If they're, if they're sat here listening to this thinking, actually, yeah, you're right, I, I should do more. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve. I'm the Digital Director at Spectrum Group. Spectrum Group's mission in life is to unlock the potential of your people. Welcome to today's podcast. As ever, I'm joined by John and Neil. I'm also joined by a very special guest, Rich Kenny. Rich is the Sustainability and Research Director at TechBuyer He's also the founder of a company called Interact, which you're gonna hear a lot more about in the podcast. He's hugely passionate about sustainability and really knowledgeable. He advises the government. He also seems to advise every other blue chip company that you can think of. So please like, share, follow, subscribe. And with all that said, welcome to Tomorrow's Workplace today. Welcome today to Rich Kenny who I'm just gonna allow, give the floor to introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, Yeah, my name's Rich. I'm the Research and Sustainability Director at TechBuyer and I run one of our sister companies called Interact, which is a green tech machine learning startup. So sustainability is very much embedded in everything we do as those two businesses. And as a person that's very much crucially important to, to what I do. Okay. So that goes back to being sort of like a little kid always been wanting to drive this sort of stuff forward. When I went to university in the end, I ended up doing poverty alleviation through economics. So focusing on like pro-poor growth and economic development through welfare. Um, so like right from being tiny, that's been very much my focus is applying business solutions to the world's problems right, rather than the okay. other way around, which is the businesses causing the world's problems.
3: So so introduce us to, to the two businesses. So tech buyer, first of all, who they are, what they do.
0: Yeah, so tech buyer, uh, enterprise and general, general IT now, I suppose. A refurbishment specialist so we specialize in refurbishment and remanufacture of primarily server storage and networking okay um, so that's basically giving second life or helping product life extension uh, the reason behind that is it tends to be much more cost effective for businesses and environmentally it's incredible because there's no embodied carbon costing what you've got there's a small amount of scope to carbon in regards to the remanufacturing process but fundamentally that technology is incredibly usable for multiple years. And what we do is make sure that it gets its full product life rather than just a three year and then chuck, wow. which is traditionally what enterprises look at.
3: So, how much of that market is currently refurbished versus new? Is, are you a kind of niche player in that market or is that? Um, the
0: norm? I think we're pretty good in the refurbishment market in that, in that space. I think we're like not one of the biggest, but we're massively well regarded and we punch well above our weight in regards to the research we do because a lot of what we do around tech buyer is understanding and furthering the circular economy. So rather than it just been like a good way to reduce costs, we're very much about educating the workforce, educating the marketplace, educating the wider world on the benefits of technology okay. uh, and how you adequately do product life extension, how you do it properly. Um, I think sort of six or seven years ago, refurbishment was like cowboys. Do you know what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, great. Someone's, someone's taken some stuff out somewhere. I can probably make 20 quid on selling it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now it's about, well, is this probably the best way to actually use our equipment mm-hmm. and I think it is. Wow. um so what you have to do is you have to fight i guess the big oems and all these other people who are saying always buying new, always buy new. Mm. um and there's a time and a place for new you know we sell new as well because sometimes it's it's bang on but there's a whole raft of this equipment that's got such a worthwhile product life left that just really gets t- tossed away and it contributes to those mountains of e-waste that we hear about a lot in the news okay um so that's our that business and i run this research and sustainability teams because We're, we're grant funded by the UK Research Institute. We're grant funded by Interreg. We've got funding from Innovate UK because we actually have sort of doctors of aeronautical engineering working for us that are working on quite intense and quite in-depth research that are going to be furthering the circular economy and furthering uh, the impact of refurbishment on our planet. So we are actually very well funded as a part of the business to do stuff that even the manufacturers aren't doing.
3: Amazing. Okay. And I can see you're wearing an Interact hoodie as well. So t- yeah. talk to us about Interact.
0: So we started a noise transfer partnership with Innovate UK and the University of East London in 2019. So a noise transfer partnership is where you tie up with education, industry, and you know, UK PLC, innovation-based projects, and you create something the world's never seen before. So our project was to basically look at the impacts of refurbishment on the data center sector. Um, identify payback points, you know, whether it's good, what good refurbishment looks like and fundamentally create a scientific and economic model for refurbishment that was effective. During that, we were benchmarking loads of servers using sort of industry benchmarking tools and we unequivocally disproved Moore's law of computing as part of this research project. So Moore's law is kind of a a fundamental law of computing that says that every two years you'll either, you know, halve in size or double performance, basically. And we disproved that for CPU architecture in 2015 and we published in the IEEE of Sustainable Computing that research as part of that KTP. What that meant is we could completely reanalyze the the buy every two years to refresh and get the most because instead of having transformational games of 100% better, these new architectures are like 13% better but actually use quite a bit more energy.
3: So what's what's triggered Moore's Law? Is it, has it been a gradual decline off that or has it been a, something that's...
0: Do you know what's really... The actual, the, the pinpoint date is like 2014, 2015 in CPU architecture. So there's a defined date where you see idle power increase and. Actual top end performance increase, but incrementally. So they've got worse at doing nothing where servers spend quite a lot of time doing nothing, um, and they've only got a little bit better at doing something. Right. And it could be elements of dark silicon on the chip. It could be basically the architecture of how you build a CPU. It could be that you can't fit any more transistors and have them all fire because silicon has a finite amount of energy it can produce. It could be the density of cores. That means that they can't all, you know, do what they need to do as effectively as they could do. So there's quite a lot of stuff that plays into it and I'm not entirely sure the exact specifics of that, What I'm sure is the effects wow. and that okay. hasn't come back out the other end yet. So people always say, yeah, but Moore's law will restart again. You mm. go, Pro- probably we might move to like two nanometer technologies that completely change the way we do it. We might architecture CPUs on graphene rather than silicon. These are all hypotheticals, you know, but what I can tell you is it can't be an immutable law. If it stops having an effect for seven or 10 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, this is the law of computing that just had a 10 year break. It's not a law, then, is it? It's kind of an <laughs> observated trend that's restarted again. So, the reason this is kind of, kind of spraffing on about this is that while we were doing this analysis, we put it all into a machine learning model to then be able to predict basically the energy efficiency, impact, and performance of any server, of any brand, generation, model, configuration, anything. And we spent three years benchmarking and providing this data set to build this tool and that tool is now Interact It's part of one of one of the tools in our business that we've launched. And so Interact is a, is, a, is I'm going to use the word green tech because it's fundamentally about finding optimal ways to refresh hardware, looking at carbon on scope two, embodied carbon on scope three, energy efficiency. And, you know, it looks at stuff like carbon intensity metrics of where you're generating the power, where it sits on what grids, the servers you're using. We then benchmark their performance. That's never been done before no one's ever been able to do that. So we can comprehensively go into a data center and say, right. Looking at all your IT equipment, we can tell you can reduce energy by 80% running the same utilization on the same level of performance. So we can save you massive amounts of carbon, massive amounts of energy, massive amounts of cost. Environmentally, if you did that for every data center in the world and you ran that analysis, you could Mm -hmm. reduce global carbon by 0.5%. So 0.5% of the world's carbon, Mm -hmm. you could eradicate in wastage through IT and data centers. That's a monstrous amount. I mean, we're talking about the energy that the the UK uses. So you could make the end, you could make the UK zero carbon mm. by optimising data centres because they're such high energy users. Amazing. And
3: most businesses that we speak to now have a sustainability policy of some sort. From your experience, is that something that they are put into practice that they actually care about or is it a box ticking exercise to
0: um, pass
3: some sort of accreditation?
0: <laughs> accreditation is a tricky one. Let's not talk about that because I think all the sustainability <laughs> accreditations are out there are absolute garbage because right. there isn't anything out there that actually... Is meaningful. Yeah, like you have like you know the sort of the PAS ones. You have like ISOs like fourteen thousand one, and they're a really good step. Don't get me wrong. It's like you've got an ISO fourteen thousand one. That means that you care about the environment, right? But actually, what it means is you have a plan in place to reduce kind of what you're doing. So like, oh, we're recycling business. We're going to recycle more than we scrap. Nice one, mate. That's really good. And it's admirable that you're doing something. But that's not really a framework, is it? Because you're just telling me, and someone comes in and looks at my business and goes. So what do you do? Uh, We don't set fire to tyres in the garden. Right, nice one, mate. You're you're environmentally solid business. Do you know what I mean? It's the same with the past 2060 stuff, where you go, yeah, we're pretty good and we've got a plan to to net zero. But the people that are auditing the plans, they ain't got a clue either. Mm. You know, there's been this boon in environmental consultants. And I'm sitting there thinking, where have you guys come from? Because we've been talking about this for 15 years. And everyone ignored us for 10. And five years ago, people started saying, you know what you're talking about. Why don't you advise government on this? Which we do. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, if me and my team and our business on the whole are ones that are advising international governments on this, and I don't recognize any of these people who are providing any of this sort of surety that people are doing it right, where does that come from? Mm. You know, it's like, oh, someone's done a master's, they've done a one-year course, and now they're going to advise, you know, Suzuki on how to completely reduce and completely transform its impact on the environment. I don't think so. Like, I don't think that's really very realistic.
3: So what what should the government be doing then, or bodies be doing, to give that some teeth to make sure that businesses are kind of...
0: Well, we've got we've got that. some new sort of... In the UK, we've got some sort of new reporting guidelines. So we've got SECR, Streamline Energy Carbon Reporting, and that targets certain sized businesses to report on Scope 1 and Scope 2. But the biggest part of the environmental impact on any business is going to be at Scope 3. So scope one is a direct emissions. So that's like, you know, the cars you drive and the petrol it generates. Scope two is sort of your energy. So powering the building, keeping the lights on and running your processes. Scope three is your supply chain and everything is the supply chain. So for example, if I use a logistics company for type by, which we do, none of that, of that transport of our goods worldwide, which is probably our largest carbon footprint is covered by SECR Cause that isn't scope one cause it's not our vans and it's, you know, DHL, DPD, FedEx, whoever it is, yep. that's their. Scope one, but it's our scope three. And SECR says, I don't need to report on that legally. So the biggest part of carbon in my business for me to comply with SECR legislation, which is the only one that really matters right now, I'd have to report that. If I'm a data center or a, a technology business, if I have servers on premise, it's scope two. So if I'm using my own servers, it's that energy. If I go to cloud, it's technically scope three, it's someone else's problem. So I can literally shift the entire burden of my responsibility and my entire sustainability out of reporting by just going, we should use this partner, I've, I've, seen that.
1: I've, seen that with, uh, I've seen that with the, some of the food manufacturers that we've got that we've, we had one of our largest ones ask us about yeah, plastic tax and uh, they've got to now, obviously, that's coming to pay it now. So it's like, how do we collect all this information? How do we gather all this information? How do we calculate it all? And then some of them were when we were talking to these these different um, companies, they were, they were taking a viewpoint exactly like what you're saying. They were saying, oh, that's not My issue, it's my logistics company. They've got to report on that or we'll do this bit or actually, yeah, we'll... And then whereas the others were taking a different viewpoint they wanted to own it and actually, yeah, manage it right through.
0: We always say you can't manage what you can't measure. And Mm. if you basically shift the entire responsibility of your environmental reporting on somebody else, you're taking their best guesses. Mm -hmm. That I don't think is robust, personally. I mean, for me, it's like if someone said, do you know how much energy your business uses? And I go, yep, I've got the bills. I know what the grid intensity looks like. I know that to generate this much performance costs this much power because I got the reports and that's what I've been charged for. If I, if they say, you know, how are you doing environmentally? Awesome, mate. Everything goes to cloud and clouds really effective. Yeah. In a lot of cases it is, by the way, like it's, it's fantastic. But if you, you know, if you not don't know, right. you don't know yeah. what, what are you doing to improve your efficiency. Nothing. I've given it to someone else. It's their mm. problem. Mm. Well, that's not robust. So that's that not changing
3: honest. then? When is scope free going to? come into force. Well, they
0: encourage it. They encourage you to report on your scope three. And that's one of those things. It's encouraged. Like, please report on your scope three. And it's like, okay, wicked. I'll do that. Um, So I guess I need to speak to everybody who supplies everything to my business Mm. worldwide, and they better have a mechanism to report on what they do. Mm. And it's just not realistic. We talk about uh, embodied cost in in stuff. So in scope three carbon, the the embodied carbon of creating an asset. And I'll use a server because it's a really easy mechanism for me to transpose. So within that server... There is an amount of energy required to, to make it right. To refine the minerals, to pull the stuff out of the ground, to, to then assemble it, correct, you know, collate it and ship it. Right. There's a huge part of that. So they reckon that a server, your average server is like a ton of carbon embodied. Great. Okay. Whose best guess is that? Yeah. So you, you're honestly telling me that for that server, you know, how hard it was to mine the materials yeah. and pull the gold, palladium, neodymium, tantalum, all these raw materials that you pulled out of Chile and out of you know, DRC and out of you know, New Mexico, you pull all this stuff out of the ground and you're telling me, you know, what it took to mine, <laughs> yeah. the fractional components of the critical raw materials that sit within information technology. You know what the smelting process was for the aluminium that went into it. You know about the plastics and what proportion of that was recycled, remanufactured and reincorporated. You know what it cost to transport it by a plane or train or boat. You don't know to go from Chile to be assembled in China, to then be shipped to America and then to be sold in the UK. Mm. And you're telling me, you know, the entire logistics chain of what that costs and the carbon intensity of moving those materials and assembling them and creating them, you don't. So it's a best guess, right? Mm. So you're saying we encourage you to port on scope three. Great. Well, when I go to a supply and go, what's in your hardware? And they go, I haven't got a clue, mate. And you go, fair enough. Cause you don't.
3: So will we ever? I was.
0: Yeah. I, I think we're ask. starting to develop technology to track this stuff. I think we're doing better uh will we ever with absolute certainty no but i think we'll take we'll take good enough i think and that's what we have to say we have to say what's good enough what's feasible what's practical um i look at it because i've run some of the compliance teams in our business of what is effective compliance as far as we can go to still run a profitable business because if you go to the nth degree on some of these things it can make your business quite difficult to run so what is good what is great and what is perfect and it's one of those you know great is enemy of good right you can get 95 percent there with five percent effort but to get that other five percent diminishing returns yeah exactly so i think we need to identify when we're hitting diminishing returns on this but encourage that we need to get to that point and not just someone go ah it's pretty hard mate Mm. like we probably we probably don't know Go well how hard have you tried because it is a big important part of you know not setting the world on fire Mm. is knowing what we buy and how we buy and how we consume and why we consume and you know, I think that's a huge piece of it. Um, the other piece is with governments, which was actually a question about 45 minutes ago before I went off on one, <laughs> um, was around legislation, how do you incentivize that? And we we're saying, yeah. you know, SECR and ESOS in the UK. Uh, I don't know if you saw this recently, but the European government's just mandated a single charger for electronics equipment, so USB-Cs, so, yeah, to remove Apple's Thunderbolt yeah. and all the rest of it. And you go, there's a massive pushback from Apple who fought this viciously in court to say, well, no, 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 we need these chargers. And you go, but Why? Like if we have a standardized technology, you can literally remove a ton of e-waste, mm. like a, mil- sorry, a million tons of e-waste. All that stuff doesn't need to be mined, created, or or generated. We don't need to do any of that waste. And I mean, there's a consumer benefit of saving the money, right? Not buying two chargers. But I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I'm plugging stuff in at home and I need six different chargers. Yeah. And I'm going, I need six different chargers to charge electronics that kind of all have the same functions. Now I, I work in research. I know that's patently absurd. Mm you don't need those mechanisms those those aren't necessary so why have we done that and it's to it's to build a reliance on that technology so that the actual sunk cost of investing in a manufacturer stays with you so i'm an apple guy i'm not by the way but you know i'm an apple guy i only use apple which means i have an apple charger and that means it charges all my apple things and that's great go and buy a samsung well yeah but i'd have to have a charger and it doesn't really have the same connectivity stuff and actually it's quite difficult to move to samsung and yeah, point. there's a thing there where you go, you've actually kind of held me hostage a little bit there, really, haven't you? Um, so that, you know, the, but the EU's come in and said, don't do that, that's naughty. And then they give them 40 months to solve it. And you go, okay, so you've now got, you know, and everyone goes, oh, that's disgraceful. And you go, you've only got four years to really, like, to four, to like four USB-C
1: years. USB C, have not they? Yeah. yeah. Of to move away from Lightning and move it a little bit to USB C and things like that. But yeah, it's. Uh, and in four years, right,
0: will USB C be the best you mark cable? To- we'll have moved on by then. Honestly, yeah, I, went, yeah. I went on
1: holiday and like, I've got a box full of cables and I'm thinking, how many do I need? Exactly that point.
0: That's it. That's it. And this is madness, isn't it? Because you know, I just need one. Because it just needs to be able to take the voltage from the mains, trans- transfer it into a mechanism that we can use for an electronics that's safe and put it into that. But none of these have variable voltage controllers. You're not putting a thunderbolt in and going, don't worry, it's really good. Because actually what that does is trickle charges a certain way that makes it more effective to charge. That's not why we have the cable. It's not an environmentally friendly cable that you know optimises the energy output. It's just... Okay. a preferred mechanism. Yeah, and I just think that's that's absurd.
3: So if uh, if you were a listener that's a owner of a medium-sized business, their priority is probably making sure that they make a good profit at the end of the year. What why should they care about sustainability as a business owner? what's your kind of argument towards that
0: i think break down what sustainability is and people use sustainability and they mean carbon sometimes and i think i think that's really reductive and that's unfortunately the biggest problem with our government is they say sustainability and they actually mean carbon and carbon's one minor piece of you know when i talk about it i talk about critical raw materials if even if we're sorry for just even if we're just talking about like the environmental piece i'm talking critical raw materials i'm talking about that but environmental covers you know education it covers welfare it covers social social impact it covers You know, commitment to doing the right thing in the right way. It covers mental health, it covers all these things and then it also covers the governance aspects of it as well as in making sure we're doing things right, like not buying human slaves to assemble our goods, for example, which most manufacturers pretty much do, but they don't call it slavery, they just call it a work contract or a zero-hours contract. Um, And we look at that and say, well, what's the benefit of caring about your workforce? And if you change it to that rather than what's the benefit of caring to the environment? Well, we don't all die and my son gets to not live on a planet that's hotter than the sun. There's a huge benefit to looking at the environment. Socially, what's the investment in your people brought you as a business at Spectrum? Because you care about your employees, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I've, I've just walked around your office. For anyone who hasn't been here, it's a really cool office, by the way. But like, it's a cool office, but people seem pretty happy like i haven't seen anyone smack with a whip to make a move faster which is normally a good thing the whips away, they? you yeah. did you, is it is <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah, you know it's, when it's, Yeah, when the cameras come out and I, pre- I appreciate that cuz it makes my job easier um, <laughs> but you know the stuff you've got around here you've got you know clear spaces i can see that you've got stuff that's been thought out around how you're laying out the office for comfort and things like that what's the benefit of that to you as an employer? and I, you know that's what i'd ask you mm. cuz that's part of sustainability is the social aspect of how you're looking after your employees do you pay them a good wage probably um, yeah absolutely yeah yeah like so why do you pay them a good wage
3: so we can keep hold of talented people and Yeah, and they enjoy working here, and when people enjoy working, they perform better, and it's a cyclical, self fulfilling thing for the customers. Better, and then yeah. they.
0: Well, I mean, on a personal yeah. level, for your employees, it's so they can buy food, and pay their rent, actually, and you yeah. know. Yeah. So, there's aspects of that where you go life, yeah. as an employer. Your responsibility, and this is—I'm not saying this is what you should be doing. I'm just saying what you can do, but you should be making your employees' lives better. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be coming to work and going, look, you need to chase my profit because I need a new Ferrari. Or I need a new Porsche. <laughs> you know, that's the 80s way of looking at things sometimes, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like your yeah, role yeah. is to facilitate the CEO making a fat wedge. And it's like, I think we're seeing that transformational change now where people go, do you know what? Like I could do a million different jobs. I can work wherever I mm. want for whoever I want. So I'm going to work with someone who's got a bit of moral fiber. Now you need to pay me, right? Because I do need to live. Mm but I'm not so bothered about you having a slide that goes from the top floor to the bottom floor, but I am particularly bothered about you making sure I've got healthcare and that if I'm having a bit of a meltdown, that someone puts their arm around me and makes sure I'm okay. And it'd be really nice if I wasn't sexually harassed at work. Do you know what I mean? Like these would be things that would be quite important to me. And it's stupid to have to talk about these things in 2022, but we do because they're Mm. still happening. So what I would say is what's the impact of staying on your business, just on the social side, just focus on the social side, happy, healthy, responsive, looked after, cared for employees, which means easier to recruit, higher retention, greater levels of happiness, less sick days. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a list as long as your arm. there just saying, what happens if you pay people right? I don't lose them. Okay, mm-hmm. why is not losing someone good? Because good people are actually a valuable resource and mm-hmm. we treat them as not human capital, but as members of our family. You know, retention is the most important thing you can do in a business because it shows that your culture is strong.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, that's for me, that's the big thing. Part of complete culture is about understanding their wants and not just saying, we have a certain culture and you need to align to that. Like, don't look as culture as reductive. Look at it as exploratory, as, as creative and as a benefit. Um, you know, at Interact, we've just launched our SDGs. So Sustainable Development Goals, they're the UN's SDGs. You pick from one of 17 goals and you put stuff in place. It says you will report on your performance on these goals. And most big companies are following SDGs because it's a simple framework that's effective to launch. And our ones are focused on like, you know, carbon reduction, because that's what Interact does. So it's, yeah. an e- it's an easy one as a business to say, okay, we want to reduce carbon by a million tons of carbon this year. And we can probably do that. But one of our second ones is about gender equality because in tech, gender is a massive issue. Mm. And so our, it's in, this is part of our articles of association that our, our decision-making will be 50% female. So irrespective of how many people I want to hire, decision-making must remain 50-50. And in tech, that's quite hard. What sort of
3: decisions? Because you, presumably you're making decisions every single day. So we're the business, talking
0: but... directional, strategic, board-level decisions. So 50% of our senior management team must be female. And that for me, some people go, well, why are you, why are you enforcing that? Sure, it's best candidate. And I'm saying, because if someone doesn't force it, it won't be best candidate because there'll be inherent biases built in that. So if we don't say we need more women in tech, we need more women to do this, and someone goes, yeah, yeah, it'll happen naturally. Well, it hasn't. Mm. So maybe people need to say, yeah, it's best person for the job. And I agree with that. But you also need to create an environment where they feel supported when they're in that role. So that's easy for us because, envir- you know, for us, it's 60% female. You know, my head, my marketing manager is female. My head of development's female. Like my, you know, my environment, my child environment is, is female. Wow. And why are we better as a business? Because we've got creative, smart people making great decisions that feel empowered and supported by the management. You know, I'm happy to be outnumbered. I don't want to be the only white guy on my team. Like, you know, that's not, that's not something I sit there and worry about and go, "Oh well, God, is other people like me in my business or in our business? I don't care if they're like me. I care if they've got a vision that aligns with mine. But other than that, I really just want them to, you know, be really good, good people. Mm. Um, And so my experience in working in technology for 12 years is that some of the best people I've worked with happen to be female. And so I need to encourage an environment where they can come and do and feel strong and do that.
3: Is this, are you an anomaly in the market, do you think? Or are you seeing, when you're working with customers, are you finding more and more people kind of joining you on that philosophy?
0: I see a lot of wonderful women leaders and And seeing more of them, Mm. but that might just be the platforms and how that's been presented as opposed to the actual absolute numbers. But in a technology firm, especially something that's like cutting edge, like machine learning, it's a sausage fest. Mm. Like let's be honest about that. Like you know what I mean. And it's and it's a shame because my developer I've got Nora is unbelievable, Mm. absolutely unbelievable. But she'd get buried in most companies. I'm not saying that you know she's not strong, capable. She's incredible. But there's a chance where because she's quiet and she's a really good thinker. She gets talked over in most businesses and they would miss a golden opportunity to have an incredible person leading their technical teams and they won't mean to do it. You know, this is not badness. This is not a load. This is not a conspiracy. Yeah. This is not the Illuminati saying keep women down. Yeah. This is the fact that the board is 90% in most cases, the board is 90% 50 year old white male. Yeah. And so the one woman that's in there is brash and abrasive and you know, all these words we put to people that, you know, that we, that we think is suitable. Whereas actually, you know, I've never been called brash. Get called abrasive sometimes. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? But no one would, if I was being strong, I'm being strong. Whereas I've seen plenty of, you know, women fight for the same thing I'm fighting for and they're disruptive or they're aggressive. Yeah. You're like, well, if I did it, it's not aggressive. But yeah. if she does it, it's aggressive. Yeah. And that's, that's the sort of thing. If we don't build the culture <sighs> around not putting labels on people like that, we can't build a culture that's focused on social impact. So we can't build a good business as far as I'm concerned. And that's sustainability.
3: So just reflect on us a bit. We've got we've got two female board members. We've got two very very capable females within our digital team as well. But mm. and growing and grow. Yeah. I probably, think probably more with I'm using females, know. by the way, as one demographic. Yeah, I'm, say just, say I'm, just, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm quite standing. I'm just going. I'm using gender
0: areas. because in technology, genders a thing. Yeah. Um, more so than it is around race or religion or all these other stuff. Because we actually see quite a lot of developers in developing nations, which are you know. Different to what we would see in the UK and in America, but are doing incredible, like running incredible startups that are entirely Indian driven, for example. So, you know, the, and it's not that it's not something that's a consideration, but there is a massive dearth on the female side. So that's something that I think we can address. The other stuff shouldn't be a talking point. It's going to have to be because it's ridiculous. But the other stuff for me, it's kind of like, I need to protect one particular demographic here because it's a tricky one in this industry. And that's a real, it's just such a massive waste. It's such a massive waste of talent for people that don't feel comfortable to be awesome. Mm. And that's, that's a part of sustainability. And that's what I think sustainability will highlight going forward is that if you have social policies around this and you need to, those social policies need to be about running good businesses Mm. first.
3: Hi, I'm just going to jump in for a second, just to introduce Spectrum Digital. So Spectrum, we are experts in automation. We work with businesses to first understand your processes and then use technology to automate the processes, ultimately making you more efficient and making life better for you and your employees. So if you're interested, have a look on the website, download our white papers, watch the videos. We talk a lot about all things automation. That's enough for me. Back into the pod sustainability from an automation perspective then are we getting clients speaking to us around sustainability is that part of the decision making process when we're talking about automation uh,
2: <clears throat> well
3: I know that it's about automation
2: it's, it's about when we engage with someone I, I am actually starting to have those, you know, those questions around what's your sustainability policy etc mm. now at, some with customers and some with prospective customers it's like you know we're interested in what you can do and how you can help us but we're also interested in your ethos and you know uh, your, your staffing you know your environmental you
3: know yeah but presumably paper that's a big part of the sustainability journey is it businesses removing paper from it could be yeah i think that's... i think
1: if we took if we keep on that theme of, of the culture and setting up a good business that the business owners have been speaking to some of the, the key points that they've been talking about one, yes, the conscious that the, the, They're killing trees, ultimately. They've got boxes of paper and invoices and they're printing invoices off and they're thinking there must be a better way. And then ultimately, we've touched on it before, mental health and actually caring about the, the, the person that's doing that role. If they're sat there doing mundane things and clicking buttons and refreshing file print and then having to shuffle paper to just key information back into it. Key, like literally business owners have said, I don't want that person sat there doing that that is just it must be the most boring thing to do and and really I want them to be doing something better. They've got, they've got more gifts to add value to this business Absolutely. than just sat there shuffling paper.
2: Make them aspiration, you know, give them that yeah. aspiration that actually Three that them. isn't going to be your job for the next 25 years. It's actually that that's a stepping stone and actually if I can give you something that's going to free your time up that you don't get stuck behind yeah. that screen and you can go and do the, the next level.
1: There's been instances where I've spoken to MDs. They've got an FD or an accountant that's we're qualified and, but because of the 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 everyday, the Every busy, and 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 they're just they've been drawn into having to process invoices and things like that, and automate basic processes around that, and and yeah, they've they're literally thinking, okay, well that's the investment, but I'm paying that person already to do that, but they're more qualified than they should be, mm-hmm. yeah, faffing about with that. So again, that they're they are making decisions to introduce. Uh, technology and, and like you say, when we when we try and look at the business case, yes, we're looking at how much time you, does it take, how much money you spend in pressing print, and but then it's the intangible bits around. Okay, well, what's the mental health of that mm-hmm. person? Does that person go home at the end of the day thinking, really love my job, and 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 I, I can't wait to I come back, back in tomorrow, in tomorrow to that pile of invoices? Because mm-hmm. I've actually seen it on the flip side. One of my customers specifically, it was a family business, and. His da- the dad, the, the owner of the business, was worried about his son. He he didn't want to come in and do that job. He was literally, to the point where the paper was all over the floor, he was trying to segment it into little piles of, they're my credit card receipts, and they're my ones to do with the delivery note, and that's that over there. And he and literally, the day we turned up to do the audit, he, did, he, he running, rang in sick, because he just was like, I don't want to see any more paper. And his dad was like, yeah, we need to, sort this out because it's yeah. just not right
3: so it's the human element as well but we, we are certainly hearing more about sustainability uh, out in the the media and the news I mean, you've got a podcast now that you've started around sustainability is that right yeah so we're just
0: we're just literally just launching it so it's the, this interact sustainability series and what we're going to try and do is put a different approach to sustainability forward um and keep them small we're going to do like 15, 15 minutes sort of thing um so like our first ones on um, what can the golden age of piracy teach us about social contracts, stuff like that. So something really interesting where I, I think what we need is a younger generation to listen to that and go, what, what, what the heck does piracy tell us about? And go, well, actually, you know, they won the first socially inclusive organizations. They didn't care about race, gender, you know, any of this sort of stuff. A ship is like a business. Mm-hmm. So there's a great analogy there in regards to you all pulling together. Yeah. Everyone has their job. It's about valuing people. Sailors were highly, highly valued because they're in difficult people to train. So what you ended up with is like a Navy that then shut down, for example, the postal of the area, which led to all these people going, I've got this really, really good job. And it's a bit of an analogy for automation. Mm-hmm. I've got all these people with a really great set of skills that aren't needed anymore. And what what, what do they you- do? So they go and take their skills somewhere else. And that happens to be, you know, across to the new world. Um, <laughs> but during that, they've got relationships around that. You know, the thing I was mentioning, I won't, I won't go too much into it, but like, because I'm worryingly obsessed with pirates due to my, my three-year-old loving them as well. Um, but it's looking <laughs> at things like that that can maybe take the conversation from being quite so morally high-handed, something a bit more entertaining. Because mm. the biggest problem we have with and I'm using sustainability and I mean, it's sustainable. When I say sustainability, I'm covering not just ESG, because what we hear a lot of is like ESG, ESG, like, yeah. like CSR used to be like corporate social responsibility Now we talk about environmental, social and governance, and it's when you can have like Exxon Mobil will be like the most ESG focused business in the world and you go you literally pull <laughs> like, yeah, dead animals from millions of years ago out of the ground and spew them into cars so we can put CO2 in. And it's useful, don't get me wrong, it's a useful business because we need that fuel. But please don't tell me you're the most environmentally focused business in the world. It makes me feel a bit sick. Um, it's a label, isn't it, that everyone yeah, tries to because to what get. they've got is a an effective breastfeeding policy that they've written down somewhere they probably don't enforce. <laughs> but they say, you know, it's okay to go to these private rooms we've built somewhere because we, we really care about young mums. And it's like, we don't hire any. So it's great if they turn up and they've got a baby stuck to them, like, and you're supposed to care about that. You probably don't, but you'd also not hire them in the first place because you see seen as too big of a risk. So your policies don't echo your sentiment. So, like, when when we're talking about sustainability, we need to be covering ethos, and it needs to not be "I wear my own homemade trousers made out of hemp." You know, it needs to be "How do you do this at government level? How do you do? How do you do sustainability well? How do you focus on what really matters?" And that's that's the key thing, really. I think that's what I want us to drill down into in the next two years is what does good look like and how do we have a template for that? And it starts with education in my mind.
3: Yeah, because sustainability, it's a, it's a very high-level term, isn't it? It's an umbrella term for lots and lots of things. I think that's what probably business owners find difficult is actually oh, in practice, what does that mean to me as a business? Yeah, and
0: it's super, super hard for businesses. Like they're coming with these reports we talked about like earlier on, about SECR, ESOS, all this sort of stuff. And basically what happens is some business owner goes, oh, we've just hit threshold for... You know, streamline engine carbon reporting. Accounts team, can you provide all that? And they're like, "Sorry, do what with what?" Mm, yeah. And it's like, well, you you do the company reports, and now we have to have SECR in it. Right. I don't know what that is. I don't know how <laughs> we even go about that. Right. Yeah, but it's a legal requirement now. Well, what yeah. do we want to do? All right. Well, let's go speak to PwC or e y or some other yeah. absolute joker of a firm mm. that well, you know, a big four, the sort of big fours that can do financial audits on firms and say, "Yeah, you're really healthy," and then watch the pensions get stolen la Debenhams. You know, this is not good due diligence. These firms are not well directed. You know, I spoke to a lot of them and they're discovering this as well for sustainability. So they've got a track record of looking at your books and saying, you have made money. Well done. Mm. And this is how much money you've made and therefore you're an attractive investment. You're asking these same firms to do carbon reporting for a lumber mill mm. because they should. Yeah, well. exactly. And you go, and then, you know, with ESOS, how are you going to reduce that? Well, we've got these consultants come and tell us. Right, Mr. Consultant, how long have you been working sustainability? Well, I once read a book a week ago, <laughs> and now because I work at e y it's fine. Like, you know, you can trust me. And it's like, you can't. Mm.
3: You know, so, like. so what should a business owner do then? If they're, if they're sat here listening to this thinking, actually, yeah, you're right. I, I, I should do more <laughs> around sustainability, <laughs> but I need help. What, what yeah. do they do?
0: Uh, for me, it starts with education. You've got to educate. You're going to have to educate around this. Like, you have to educate yourself with finance when you're a business owner. Like, you have to educate yourself with operations. You're going to have to educate yourself about sustainability. Okay. and it can't be one of those things where you go i'll just tell i'll just take what people tell me there isn't the body of knowledge available right now for what this looks like and that's what i'm talking about we need that advocacy mm. piece covered because if i was starting a new business now they always like you for a business plan don't they mm. like so if i want to attract investment hypothetically and i don't don't need money but what's the first thing someone sits down with you if you go and see a, a business uh, you know a, a business coach you've got your business plan Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to make this much money this year and this much money this year. and then We're going to hire this many people, and then we're going to do some stuff in product development. And that's a business plan. Wicked. What's your environmental plan? Ah, psh. What's your sustainability plan? Psh. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you know how you're going to make money, or hypothetically make money. And it's you know it's not worth the paper it's not printed on at this point in time. But um, <laughs> what what what? Why are they allowed to leave out that piece? How you look after your workforce going forward? When you grow, how are you going to maintain? like care of your employees. Why is that not part of the business plan? Like you want to grow a business? Wicked. How are you gonna make sure you take care of your people? How are you not gonna plunder the environment to get to your aims? And how are you not gonna break the law while you do it?
3: Seems pretty fundamental stuff, doesn't it?
0: I I think so. I'm not saying, like, I'm not calling on out on this, by the way, just to be clear. Like I might sound abrasive. Mm -hmm. um, passionate. Yeah, passionate. passionate. If I was a woman, I'd be being aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, But why is this not part of corporate education? Mm. Like you're telling me it's important. I think it's important. I think it's before that. Rich, uh, I, we're talking
2: education. We're talking corporate education. But my son's just moved into secondary school, mm. and you know he's got a, a raft of you know core subjects. I've not heard him once say, "Oh, we've done something on you know sustainability or, or, or all mm. of the things to do with our environment." That actually, if we teach them early enough, that you mentioned very early on in this pod about you know get people younger and things like that well if we're not teaching them at, at that impressionable age then it, it's going to take longer it's going to be harder to get someone to change you know hopefully that's not the case hopefully mm-hmm. I'm you know putting a very pessimistic view forward not my view but a pessimistic view but but actually a lot of you know we're talking about phones and you know usb c's and you know um whatever the apple charger thing is yeah, should like know anyone. I've got one but, yeah, like, <laughs> but but we were talking about that and, and they're already like all over gadgetry they're already you know m- my son's way more you know yeah. I like tech but he's way more au fait with like shortcuts and doing this and that well he's at that age and probably well your you're child's three yeah. they're at that bit young to start but maybe no it's not, actually, but, it's not actually <laughs> but but actually that's what we should be doing so for me listening to you passionately talking about this subject and and I'm learning things being brutally frank for me you're now advising the government I couldn't tell you who the environmental you know the sustainability minister was Mm -hmm. um don't hear much about them in the (coughs) press we hear about all these other things that are going Mm -hmm. on that don't enrich my life and it's got to start it's got to start with education at, at the at our children's ages, but it's also got to start with actually there being more prominence within government that actually make it a little bit more, um, what's the word, rigid. It's not, because at the moment, if I'm being honest, I've worked for PLCs and I've worked for family owned businesses in the main, in some of my other companies it is absolutely a tick box yes. I've done this, I've done that, brilliant, that'll go away. Yeah. All the analyses you, you used earlier, I'm thinking, yeah, I work for a company that's done that. Yeah. Do you want know
1: the, the one that gets me, sorry to jump in, the one that gets me, I went to America a couple of weeks ago and you know over here, plastic straws, they're just, oh, we'll make them paper, there we go, there's a tick box thing. Over there... Massive cups, still got plastic straws, and I'm thinking, I guarantee, over there with the amount of fast food chains, they're absolutely hammering that. But just little things like that. Oh, we've made we've made one thing moved it from plastic to paper, and it's like... But, but, is the, but paper, the laugh is of the that is, is it better? Is the paper recyclable? Is recyclable? Well, well, recyclable
0: well, you tell me if those big, thick paper straws at McDonald's. Apart from the fact you can't make a milkshake with them. So yeah, well, there we go. Yeah. 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 It, That's
2: it. my frustration. Yeah. But on top of that, the interesting thing is, they give you a paper straw, but the, 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 the plastic it's cup is it. still... Oh, sorry, yeah. the, the paper cup is still covered by plastic.
0: Yeah, mm. But this is, this is the key around education, the focus and the knowledge. So we moved away from paper bags. When we oh, were did in the seventies and eighties, yes, yeah, right. yeah, you used, used to have paper bags, right? Like yeah, I remember yeah. this. I'm luckily old enough to still remember a little bit of paper bagging, um, and we moved to plastic bags, and then we got rid of what single-use plastic bags and changed them to these new bags for life, which people still use just once and throw away, but yeah. are just ten yeah. times I denser agree. on yeah. plastic. Yeah. The paper straws are prime prime example. Like know a little bit about this because I'm um, hate a paper straw, hate other mouth, hate the mouth feel. Mm. So you know, but I also hate plastic straw because i don't drink the straw anyway but you, you know there's a there's a preference there even if there wasn't yeah but how recyclable are those paper straws once they've been used because i don't think they are my understanding was that they require quite a lot more energy to create than the plastic ones and, and this is just some of the stuff i've heard so i need educating on this as well because i'm not clear but i'm not sure those paper ones are recyclable so have we done the right thing mm. i don't yeah, it was a knee no, jet reaction wasn't it, it to it, kind of paper's better than plastic because oh, we'll do bad, something stop putting plastic in the ocean David Attenborough said, oh, shit, we're
1: putting loads of plastic in the ocean. We better do something. And it was just like, hang on, why have you picked the straw? It was like but, out of everything. But, but actually, so <laughs> in, a, in another life, I worked in print and publishing.
2: So I worked for printing companies that produced magazines, you know, consumer magazines. And your subscribers would get it in the post, and it would come in polythene, and it would have been printed on, etc. And And then, and I'm talking 10 let's say 10 15 years ago there was this massive thing right right we're going to biodegradable um, you know poly if mm-hmm. you like obviously it's not poly but biodegradable um, coverings for your, for your magazines chucked in it yeah. so we've got all this rubbish that you know as a as a reader or whatever and I'm slightly diversifying where we were but we just chuck away so that's been you know all all mm-hmm. the things that's resulted in the trees being chopped down to produce the paper for people to go yeah not interested chuck it yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. actually the biodegradable because it was a tick box exercise the biodegradable you know covering that it comes with took about 30 years yeah to you know to degrade, degrade mm. yeah. if it degraded because if it got to a certain part in the ground it didn't degrade anymore mm. and it was granted with that 10 15 years ago so things may have evolved and i know yeah. now recycled papers being used in in that environment but i suppose while I, I absolutely admire and love your passion, and like I said, I'm learning things. For me, uh, it's it's a long, long journey, isn't it? Because if it, it is, and it's, it's a global
3: like, one as well, isn't it? That's
2: the thing. Think, it's not just it's, well,
0: that's that's bang on. We look at this like it's in isolation, like, mm-hmm. and it's not because we're talking about global supply chains. Like and it, it horrifies me every time I buy like a little toy for my son. And mm. I, I buy him a lot because I'm a softy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but like, and I'll I'll buy him him, the, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I'll buy him like some stupid little thing that was like ATP or something, there, and we'll get it from like you know. I, at the moment, he's obsessed with these things like, super things, and they're just like little plastic pieces of rubbish that he's not going to want in a years time. Yeah. And it's a tiny little manufactured plastic thing that has no secondary life or secondary use. I don't know if it's recyclable, but he's got about ninety of them now. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm all about. <laughs> environmentalism but i still pick him up every one every time i get to the shops. because it makes him happy yeah. and i think you know you multiply that by every child in the world and i know you know we're, we're in a fortunate position so i can afford these AEP things for him mm. um but you multiply that across and go that's a single instance of a single product at a single time in life that has no secondary value it's just a consumer-based product mm. right what what is the impact of all these little micro transactions yes added up and, it's, and that's what he's saying. We're focusing on who chose straws? Yeah, yeah. Who went, yeah, straws? Mm. Like, all right. I mean, that the sort of thing the other day where they were saying that actually the wear and tire on tires produces more carbon than petrol. Wow. Like the actual particulates released from really? rubber burning on our roads produces more than tires. Really? Uh, yeah, from yeah, tires, yeah. sorry. It produces more than the actual the fuel. That's incredible. And I remember before... We, everyone was like anti-diesel it was go to diesel it's better for the environment and then yeah, it went right. oh sorry it's got 10 times the particulate it's quite <laughs> terrible actually just, just Right, and, then, and then this is my one pet view and I'm going to go off this because it's the one thing on transport that really annoys me is the UK government goes we're not going to have any more petrol cars after 2030 we're going to move completely to electric cars and you go well that sounds good right because you get rid of the, the particulates in the air and the oxygen that's, that's great right you go okay how much energy does the UK need to power a UK car fleet that's mm-hmm. a then. 10% more energy than it currently has. Okay, so we need 10% more energy. Okay. How can the, can the grid support that? No. No. Okay, yeah. so we can't. So at the very basic level, we can't support that. Okay, is there enough lithium in the world for the batteries needed to completely electrify? No. Okay, is there enough copper in the world to build, you know, the wind farms? Because we want to do it with re- sustainable technology and renewable energies. So, okay, we're going to build wind farms to get this extra 10% energy that the grid can't support. But hypothetically, maybe it could. Someone will solve that problem. Right what does it take to build those wind farms well we'd need the world supply of copper for the year just for the uk to build and maintain those wind farms so we would need all the world's copper for the uk no one else can have any just the uk so they can have a wind farm yeah what about neodymium we'd need 10 years of the world supply of neodymium every year to power these ones great are these res- are these blades from the from the you know the the wind farms are they recyclable no no they're single purpose you can't actually refurbish them okay and how long do they last oh, five, ten years Okay, so we need all the world's really? Neodymium for 10 years. I think it's probably, they probably last a bit longer, but I would imagine but, but, yeah, that right. you get, there's a finite time. That's a bit I'm not, not 100% sure, but it's going to be a finite amount of time and then non-recycle as we stand right now. So we're saying, so we're gonna, we need more electricity than we can produce, yep. And to produce electricity, we need sustainability. We need more of the world's of critical raw materials than the world has, yep. And we need all of them, yes, even though we can't have them, yes. And we don't have enough lithium to make the batteries that allow us to have the cars to do this, correct. What's the policy? Electrify the UK's car fleet by 2030. It's like, but I've just told you in 2022 that we don't have the energy. We can't make it with the mechanisms we've got in the world right now, and we can't make the cars. So what's right, we'll, we'll the, what's, carry on. What's the policy? Get rid of petrol carry. cars. Have them electrified. And you're just like, okay. So that's that's someone smart, and maybe they're smarter than me. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, I know how maths work. It's a fine demand. If I have five I apples and you want yeah. 50, I can't give you 50 apples. Yeah. I can only give Just you five. A Stop asking me for 50. <laughs> so like, you know, on a basic level, this is why, you know, my kid can educate the government because he understands it's between five and 50. And that's like, that's a fundamental problem we've got with sustainability, that we've got these high ideas where someone's gone, plastic straws, paper straws. We've got, you know, no more super things, which I wouldn't be averse to. All electric cars can't do it. Mm. Solar energy in data centers, okay, provides one percent of the energy. So your renewable policy, your your environmental policy for data centers is to stick solar on. Great. How much energy can we provide? One percent of the total requirement. What about the rest? But that's your entire policy.
1: Yeah. The one that got me with when it. I first met you—that you when you did that round table in Leeds—and and again, the reason I invited you on today was because you speak with so much passion about this topic, and and again, the education piece—you so knowledgeable. You opened my eyes about like um, streaming, oh, yeah. like the streaming thing blew my mind in terms of like as opposed to a, just having your Blu-ray or your DVD versus we don't. Think anything of it now? My my children just yeah Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or YouTube are constantly streaming. Around. But just remind me like some of the stats on that because the data centers to the power those sort of yeah. is phenomenal. It's
0: the data centers because we don't want to vilify data centers. No, they're course. providing a really good business and also investment in digital infrastructure repays on like return investment like 14 times so if you digitize you know if you're investing in digital you're making a significantly good business investment but you must understand the cost of data Mm. because like you've just said with paper well paper's a physical thing if i produce loads of waste paper i can feel bad about that because i can see it but if i produce waste data i don't really see the environmental impact of that and we consider it just on the data so you know youtube will come back and say yeah but we actually only produce eight petabytes of data yeah that's not that much Go, yeah, what does it take to transfer that around the world, though, through networks? Because there's a cost of transferring data. Ah, it's actually 150 times that. So they advise that they say, we produce this, we're using this much energy to serve YouTube. Mm. It's like, you're not even remotely using that much energy, you're using 150 times that energy. And then the one I was talking to you about was understanding... What role technology plays in consumption of data? So I, I use the example all the time of the Desposito video. I think that might be the one I talked about. When well, I right, used yeah. the Ronaldo one, yes, one. they're both ones from Ravi Basharouche, who's been on Dispatches. He's, he's a good friend of mine. And he's very, very smart, and he was talking about the Ronaldo one. This is one I use. I've used years ago, and I've probably used it up now. But some people still haven't heard it. So at the time in 2020, whenever Ronaldo posted a picture on Instagram, it it was consumed by his millions of followers, and then it comes onto you, you know, you get to serve you that photo in a, of a very small format it was using like the energy consumption of seven UK households for the year for that one photo, that one point in time for that one guy. And that was, that's a single photo and that was a Ronaldo example. And then Rabi did this wonderful piece on networks around the the Desposito music video do you know justin b you're gonna start singing it. i'm not yeah. because I don't, I don't i don't know it um i know it's something to do with mexican food it's something to do with burritos but that used the energy consumption of four african countries for the entire year because it was the most streamed song and we're not talking like Burkina faso we're talking like sudan plus central african republic plus like you know we're talking like four whole countries energy consumption was for that streaming of that song and all the you know the big the big network players like youtube came back and went absolute fallacy we used this much energy and they went agreed you used eight petabytes of data to stream that song but that strong is four minutes long and if you turn that into data let's say 800 meg if you consume that in four you know in in 4k rather than 3k rather than sd or whatever there's a multiplier on that so consuming uh, data in sd versus hd is three times worse so it uses three times more energy to serve you a hd video than an sd video so if you're watching youtube and you're watching a video in on your phone you don't, you know, and you only listen to the music potentially, but you're watching it on YouTube, so you're getting streamed the video. You're listening to a song in your headphones and you're streaming it in like high definition to your phone. It's using like a gig of data. It's like it's using a significant amount of data. Now you think the network factor, I'm consuming that data from a data center in Seattle. So it goes from Seattle to New York under the Transatlantic Cable to, to, to London or the Central Internet Exchange. Then it comes to me and does another hop to serve to me in Manchester before it gets to me in Leeds. So that hops through five different data centers. So if I'm using a constant display content display network to receive that data quicker, then they have to replicate that data. So you're saying yes, it's in my data center in Seattle, but now it's also in my data center in London. It's also in my data center in Manchester, and they're all going to store that data. And when they back up and replicate that data as part of their information security policies, they're going to offsite that data to three more locations as well. So that video that I was consuming in Seattle is in twelve locations. Wow. So you said it's eight hundred meg, but it's not because we've just agreed. Now it's ten wow. gig. Right, And I've had to transfer it under these undersea networks. Also, how am I consuming it? 3G, 4G, Wi-Fi? doesn't matter, right? Okay, so 3G is four times worse than 4G. So consuming it on 4G is okay. Consuming it on 3G, I'm using four times more energy. Consuming it on Wi-Fi, though, I'm twice as effective as 4G. So if I consume it on Wi-Fi, I'm eight times better than 3G. That's pretty massive.
1: Okay.
0: Phone, laptop, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: big screen. All have different energy uses for the consumption you of that don't data. Think about it, do you? And this is what we're talking about. We you talk about data you. and I, I know this sounds really complicated and I'm breaking this down, but fundamentally that's where that data use comes from. You go, no, no, it's not four nations, it's this. Well, the network impact's hundred times that. And then you look at where's it been consumed? It's been consumed in Asia. Primarily half the consumption of the, you know, six billion views is in Asia. Yeah. Right. Do they have five G or four G networks in most of Asia? No. Is Wi Fi enabled in most of Asia or, you know, India? No. So what are they consuming it on? Three G. Okay, so wow. we know 3G is eight times worse, and they're using it on old devices that are less energy efficient yeah. on the whole, and it's had to go from Seattle to India and through all those hops to consume some song about burritos.
3: Wow, and this is all <laughs> Justin Bieber's fault. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm going to
0: blame him directly. It's a catchy tune, I'm told. But that's, that's one piece, and we said, actually, if you put that into DV, the data, the petabytes into data, and you burn them to DVDs, it would reach the thermosphere. It would reach 30 miles. So when I first gave the analogy, I was like, oh, I think it's like as high as the, e- the Eiffel Tower, and then I was like, Let- I'm going to be the guy that does his homework. I'm a research strokist guy. I believe in methodology. I'm going to do the homework. And it was like 30 miles high of DVDs. It reached the first satellites in Earth if we'd put that onto physical media for the consumption for that one song for one year.
1: Amazing,
3: Fascinating, right? Presumably the world's getting more and more digitized, IoT, and we're mining for blockchain and all this stuff that's increasing the energy consumption significantly, I'm assuming. And we're
0: we're getting better efficiency for the consumption but we talked about the, the disproving of Moore's law earlier on yeah. so we're saying ah, it's okay we'll kind of work our way out of this situation by getting more efficient well actually we're consuming more data than ever and our devices are not getting that much better at the actual yeah. energy efficiency piece like they were transformationally before so we're creating this storm where we go digital is good and it is good it's the underpinning of every part of the you know, united nations sggs digital will help solve issues around sustainability but we have to look at what responsible consumption looks like as well. And that's with consumer behaviours on buying crap, like my plastic toys for my son, mm-hmm. and it's consuming data that I shouldn't really consume. I think what's what's that thing at the moment? They say at the moment there's stuff around like people having three sources of information most of the time all day. Mm-hmm. At home, that's you've got Alexa on, you've yeah. got the TV on with something that's been streamed and, and you're playing on iPad, your tablet. Yeah.
1: Honestly, yeah, my, yeah. my son yeah, does it. True. He puts the telly on and then he sits and watches. Yeah. How are you doing do? that? Yeah. The yeah. TV's on and the iPad. But then they're streaming it constantly. (laughs) Literally, I'm like, no, no, get off that. But even going back to the toys the other day... You're like,
0: put that down, put that down, put that down.
1: (laughs) The the only time that I I sort of... Because, again, you sort of make sense of it when it piles up, is birthday, So in April, my daughter and my son, 10 days apart, the blue bin was just, again, gifts It's just just all the wrappers and all the plastic. and, And you're thinking... That's when it hits home, when you actually physically yeah. see it. But then, again, like we've said with tech, sometimes you don't see the impact. And also, we're marketed and sold to to buy this fancy new thing mm-hmm. and, and we're told that it's more. And it, I, I think even with like TVs and what now, and electricals, when you go to Curry's or AO or whatever, they've, they've changed the the banding, haven't they? For the, because there were, I think... I don't know what happened, but they were they were saying it was more energy efficient than it was, and then they've changed the yeah, yeah, the structure right. of it, and all of a sudden it's like, well, actually, it's not. It's, great. It's not the so great.
0: Consumerism one's interesting because I actually did a podcast recently that they didn't publish because I went off on one about post World War II consumerism. And that the World War II is when consumerism hit the mainstream mm-hmm. because we'd created a wartime economy that led to the necessity to create GDP yeah. through consumption. consumption. So we create a, a, a in the thing be the, it will be the forties that in order to continue GDP at the rate we had done and to grow as we had done as a wartime economy, we had to introduce consumption models that led to marketing, that led to where we are today. And that's that's why people are a bit like, well, you know, this is kind of how people are. And it's like, well, actually, no, we've actually created a consumerism yeah. movement that's less than 100 years old. Yeah, it is. Wow. And you don't, you don't really think about it, do you? You go, well, no. what do you mean? It's like, well...
1: My granddad used to have all, He used to have a, a greenhouse, and he used to grow his grows matters and all his TVs. Now when did you we're buy just new TVs. When, yeah. when you were when
0: you were <laughs> like in like this, you know, sixties and seventies, when TVs were kind of like a thing, you repaired them, right? You repaired yeah, yeah. your TV, well, and yeah. you know, we talk about right to repair, repair as well around this sort of stuff, yeah. and it's coming back now. Repairing in product life extensions coming back. And not we've really
3: old enough to remember, but John.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Well, I can remember on the subject, Steve. <laughs> um, no, seriously, I, I can remember. You know, my dad going to Radio Rentals, yeah. or I can't remember the other one at the time, Currys, or or whatever, and, and 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 we would rent it, it mm-hmm. would be, and yeah, then yeah. it would be right. You hand hand it back. That would get pushed on to someone else, and then you you get that. We'd rent it for like you know, I don't know two years, three yeah. years, and and then suddenly like you said Rich it kind of evolved to then say, well I want to buy my own and yeah. I'll keep it and I'll keep it for a while and then it will break and I'll get it fixed and I actually got a TV fixed hold the phone about 12 months ago for for my son's um right. bedroom and uh, to be fair I might have it might have been better have to buy a new one to buy a cheaper new one which when, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Financially, yeah. Yeah. it would have been yeah. probably more cost effective to dump it and go a new one, but because it was quite a big screen, my old lounge one, I thought, actually, do you know what? As long as it's not a bank breaker, I'll, I'll yeah, do it because yeah. it would be great for, for his gaming and stuff like that.
0: And that's the problem. We were talking about legislation and the drive impact and they still charge VAT on repairs. You're mm. like, what? Like, if you removed VAT from repairs, repairs would be 20%, 20% cheaper. Yeah. You know? of and that great decision point. then becomes easy to make, right? Well, actually, I'll pay to repair this because it's cheaper than buying new. Mm. When new is always cheaper than, you know, repaired, yeah, yeah. then where is the economic incentive to be good?
2: That's a great point. It is a great point. But what I would say is, actually, back in my day, thank Steve. <laughs> um, there were so many more repairmen yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for the there various it. things, yeah. be it lawnmowers, be it whatever, washing machine, dishwasher, yeah, exactly. yeah, there aren't now. TVs,
0: but equally, yeah. digital has probably helped facilitate making those repairs yourself. Like, um, how do I fix it? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, fix it. it's just like yeah. you know, I've put a couple of videos up on. There. I'm to te- be clear, I'm terrible with this sort of stuff. Working technology, I'm really good at research. I'm terrible with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like I'm just not good at this sort of stuff. And. I look at the iFixit stuff and I go, this is how you fix your phone. This is how you fix it. And i fixed my washing machine from, from watching iFixit. brilliant. Yeah. Historically, would I have paid someone to drive out here, do the repair, paid a couple hundred quid or whatever, or would I just go, never mind, throw it away, get some scrap man to come and get it or whatever. Would I watch iFixit and fix it? So that's when you're saying, that's the driver that could be really effective. Can yeah. we disseminate education? again education could you send that information to allow you to facilitate your own repairs mm. and maybe that's why there's less repairment. you know what I mean so I know I'm playing devil's advocate yeah no,
2: I think it, that's that, I think that's fair Rich because I I fixed um the belt around I never even knew a tumble dryer had a belt I thought it was maybe a gear behind it. anyway <laughs> there was a belt that drove the 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 cylinder in in the tumble dryer it went and I thought couldn't find anyone to repair it actually that was my first thing and then I thought oh I fix it or Google I fix it comes up. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Oh, well, all you need to do is get this. So e spares plug for them. Happy days. Next day, there I am in the garage taking the top off. <laughs> it's all falling apart. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and then manage to put it together. Works like a treat. And and there was a, another one sense of accomplishment. Actually, yeah. A, yeah. I haven't trucked it, but B, I've managed to fix something myself. B. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and off we go. Uh, and I think that's it. But just going back to your research around data centers is obviously what we've said is everything's moving to a data world. And and you said something, I might be wrong, and you will correct me, please, but that something like the amount of energy that's used for data centers, when it's, I don't know, I can't remember the stats, but it was basically along the lines of they're not, they could be way more efficient. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I'm just conscious how how a how did you measure it?
0: Mm.
2: Not obviously the nuts and bolts of that, but but how can we get, then go back and say right? All these massive data centers, which I guess are popping up left, right, and center around mm. the globe.
0: Well, it's not just massive ones. The problem is lack of data around how many data centers there are in in in, in general. We try to cover the hyperscale ones, you know, the Google, the Apple, yeah. the Amazon, all that sort of stuff. But you know, micro data centers, edge-based data centers, there's millions, there's millions right, of these yeah. data centers, and every single one is just putting kit in and slinging kit in to run a roll. that and they use the kit inefficiently because they don't know no better. Mm. And this is one we're talking about. What could people do? Data centers are responsible for like 1% of the world's carbon, wow. like energy and carbon. And that's only going to grow. Yeah, that's going to grow, but as they become more efficient, that number will probably stay in absolute terms. The 5G networks will become better, which means data transfers will become more energy efficient as well. But but it's only going to grow in, in the absolute numbers. Digital itself, I think it's responsible between 4 and 7% of world's emissions. So we talk about that's like home IT as well. That's like mm-hmm. using the laptops. That's all this sort of stuff. So it's a huge part of what we do. I mean, it's up there with like, it's past what the airlines use. It's past aviation is what digital does in regards to really? environmental impact. Oh, way past, way past that. You know, it's cutting up to the point where it's getting close to like commercial fleets. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Well. As in like transport sort of costs, because they're the big ones. So like agriculture, transport, and like business are the key sort of, you know, and but digital is built into the business numbers. Sure. Um so these are absolute numbers, they're fairly re- reliable, they're not mine, they're ones that I got from people that I trust, from big agencies that I do trust, not like a Deloitte or a an Accenture, but from people that actually have no vested interest in these numbers. Mm provide the information we say, well, what could you reduce? Well, some, if people use Interact, and I'm going to use, I'm going to plug my products in yeah, because I generally believe it's world changing. If the, every data center in the world used Interact, we could cut the global consumption of data centers from 1% of total energy to half a percent. We could easily be 50% better. I've done 150 take cases now with data centers ranging from massive ones to, to tiny ones. And the energy saved is on average 60 to 70% to run the same workloads at the same level of efficiency. So just with better configuration of kit, better understanding how to use the equipment. So there is a tool out there right now that could reduce the world carbon by 0.5% or pretty much what the UK generates in the entire year. So we could make the UK zero carbon wow. on a world level. And that is one technology for one area of a business. And I guarantee there's a million startups out there and a million businesses out there that solve problems like this. Mm that would make transformational change. And because they're not going to be accepted by risk-averse companies, it won't happen. The number of people that I deal with, and it's really forward-thinking businesses that will go, I'll try what you're you're saying, mate. Oh, that's been transformational change. Thank you very much. But it's these businesses that you'd expect to be interested in what we do. But the majority of businesses are just like, nah, our IT team says it's a bit of a hassle. Mm. Don't want to do it. So you're telling me this guy's got a view that it might make his job a little bit harder for a week. So we're not going to change the world today. thank you very much. And there's a million of those decisions that's been made every single day in all areas of the business it, it's It's all about financial incentive yeah. to do the right thing and there's one piece that I always harp on which is f- with fission, you know um, so energy making energy from energy okay. and so fission is you know fundamentally like at the moment it takes more energy to create the laser that can say split the technology to then create the energy than it does. Once we master fission, we have an abundant energy source that costs less to create than it generates. So we will actually be able to create energy rather than transfer energy. There are about 50 companies that have got massive research grants, all investigating fission, all under NDAs, all not talking to one another. So you've got 50 companies with millions of, wow. maybe a billion pounds going into it worldwide, who are all trying to get a comparative commercial advantage in their creation of fission. And I guarantee they're all doing the exact same work, all permutations of that work if they actually shared that knowledge and combined it, quicker. they'd get there faster because they'd learn every, like, you know, oh, we did this fishing thing and it moved us ahead 10 years. They haven't done that yet, but they did something else that would have moved us ahead six months and solved the problem we just had. If that knowledge combined, we went, you know what? We've decided fishing's good. Okay, great. Well, and this why you talk about global, exactly what you're talking about. It's a global problem. If everyone came together and said, right, F the money, hmm. let's look at the impact. We would solve it.
3: So let's. There is no global leader, but let's say we live in a world parallel world where Boris Johnson resigns and and you get the gig.
2: Yeah. What I don't want <laughs> your full policies,
3: but well, <laughs> what are you doing? What, what's your what's your top three things that you're going to do?
0: If I, I mean, sticking just to sustainability, because yeah. I'll be honest, like although my background's economics, I'm probably not going to mess with like those sort of policies. Yeah. So I'm going to stick entirely to what we do. I would incentivize investment in R and D that we share globally. So I would say that. You produce something, a product, we trial it, we put it into incubators, we immediately share that knowledge and we incentivize them financially to make it worth their while to share that knowledge. So rather than going, we'll try and smash a unicorn valuation, you get a billion. Okay, well, that's really good. You've solved a massive problem there worldwide. How about everyone put some money in the pot? And you do quite well out of it. So it encourages you to to get the bestest and brightest to do that. And we run it as a global scheme. The second with be, I would aggressively penalize people that aren't actively reporting on environmental outcomes. And I mean, aggressively penalize them. Like, you know, the, people, the threat of data was GDPR, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Big fines, yeah. big fines. Yeah. I'd, I'd hurt people bad enough that they'd need to think about doing things right. Not stimmy business, not I wouldn't want to be decreasing people's competitive advantage or anything, but I'd be saying, if you decide to say you're doing something environmentally focused or you've got an ESG policy, I'm going to ask you to prove that. Mm-hmm. And if you can prove it, we're all good. And I'm not going to tell you what those parameters look like. I'm just going to say, walk the walk. Yeah. You know, you want to talk the talk, that's cool. And I would financially penalize people that don't. And that's starting to happen now. I don't know if you saw Deutsche Bank have just been yeah. absolutely kicked in the swingers for all their stuff they're talking about. Like in the term greenwashing, I'm going to actually get the whole, through the whole thing without saying greenwashing, yeah. but I have to say it now because <laughs> the Germans love it. Um, <laughs> they've just been given a massive fine for inaccurate reporting on their environmental marketing. And there's another business, I can't remember who it is, but it's huge. Like it's a huge business. Who are also now also going through that themselves. So for all their marketing, saying we're great on this, we we do all this sort of stuff. People looking at it and go, all right, show me. And they've gone, well, you we can't. You know, wow. they've gone. Oh, we've got this great tree planting scheme. Awesome. Be- where have you planted them?
1: Yeah, where where's that forest? <laughs> well, they're um, they're in Scotland.
0: Great. So you said that each tree sequestering a ton of carbon a year. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the saplings. Okay, yeah, they, they do 27 kilos. So it takes 20 years before that tree that you've planted does a, a ton of carbon. So you can't write off a ton of carbon right now, can you? Because that's only doing 27 kilos. It's
3: kind of false advertising really, isn't, it's, it, isn't it? It's
0: a lie is what it, it is. is. And so, like I yeah, said, yeah. I'd love to say false advertising. You can get a trade in standards and be like, this doesn't do what it says it'll do. You said my car goes 100 miles now and it can't go out of first gear and do more than three. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what needs to happen. People mm-hmm. need to go, what are you saying your product does? What are you saying you do? Show me, back it up and prove it. Yeah, And it's not actually that hard to do. Because what we see a lot of is carbon neutrality where people go, well, offset. You're not making yourself better. They're not reducing energy. They're just going to offset it. But the way they're offsetting it isn't sustainable. We're going to plant loads of trees. Wicked. Awesome. There's been a wildfire in America and it's wiped out 70,000 trees that you said you planted three years ago. Are you going to replant them 70,000 trees to sequester carbon that you wrote off two years? Are you not? Mm. So you didn't do anything then, did you? So actually you said you wrote off that carbon and then a natural disaster happened and you not fixed the problem. So actually what happened there was a gimme. You went, I've done it. Oh, it's been destroyed. <laughs> like, Meek Alper, do you know what I mean? Like, It's not my fault. It's like, well, it really is your fault because that's how you solved your carbon situation. So you need to be like that. And, and that's, that's the
2: thing, I think, Rich, you're right. Sadly, at the moment, it is gimmicky because there isn't that you at the top that's telling everyone, this is what I'm going to do and I will come after you if you say you do this and you don't do that. It, it, at the moment, it is a gimmick because... Uh, When I was in the print and paper, you know, print and publishing side of things, yeah, we're you know we're offsetting and we're doing all of that. And like you said, and then a natural disaster happens, it's like, well, I've said I've done it now, so we'll just move on. No one's going to pull me up, and that's it. That is because if
0: I said to you that you then there is a risk of of tree planting. Businesses are all about risk, right? Like the bigger businesses are all about risk and go. Okay, so what's our plan? Our plan is to plant fifty thousand trees a year. Wicked. What's the risk of planting them trees? Nothing, mate. We say we do it, and everyone believes us. Zero risk. Love it. Thank you very much. What you said? Well, the risk is that it's in a fire region. The risk is also that they don't reach maturity because it takes, 20, like I said, 10, 20 years to actually reach full carbons question. Uh, the risk is that they don't actually do it and we don't actually check on it. Wow, that sounds pretty risky. What's the alternative? We could look at technologies that reduce our, our carbon output. Mm. Oh, let's do that. Let's just make less carbon. Then, then we don't have to plant the trees. Yeah, it might be cheaper to just plant the trees. or we'll pretend we have. Wicked. Let's do that then. And that's, that's the problem we've got to is that someone at the decision-making is going... What do we have to do? You have to say you've done something. Nice one. Let's say we've done it. Anyone going to check up on us? Nah, wicked. Done. Job done. Put it in there, you know. Or well, some of them have, they'll,
1: they'll donate it to a charity that says they're going to plant trees yeah. and then the charity, they get a tax benefit because they've done it into charity and then it's like, well, it's not my problem now. I've donated it to yeah. charity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the, uh, the interestingly, you said about the that the one lady, when I did do a bit of a campaign around the plastic tax side of things and she was, she was, um she went for a chairman, food manufacturing company, massive two billion turnover. Uh and she, when I mentioned about offsetting, straight away, she said greenwashing straight away. There was like, no, no, we've got a policy against this. I'm thinking, okay, so what, what are you gonna do? But then ironically, I said, Okay, so how are you capturing the information now? Oh, well, we're printing out the paper and we're still trying to click it on a clipboard and still having to type it into a spreadsheet type thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was um it was interesting straight away she was against the offsetting part of it but you have a plan b yeah didn't have a plan b but then linking it back to some of the stuff that we do with the accounts payable side of stuff we're seeing what people are buying we know we're seeing the invoices come through we're seeing what and uh, in the retail sector i'm seeing things like klarna for example have, have started to report on the cabinet or h&m were starting to give a, a carbon sort of footprint of that purchase and i'm like okay and that question that you answered uh, oh that that Sort of statement earlier was around. How did they know? It's a complete yeah. finger in the air yeah. scenario, and and um one of my looks c- good though. Looks good, and then it, good it, enough, right? You talk about this competitive advantage and these, these these auditors coming out of the woodwork, and and yeah, I mean, I've I've spoken to a, a friend of mine, and he's trying to he, he has an expense management business, and he's he's trying to make it more about accountable and what well, Okay, so you bought that product. What's your carbon footprint based on that? Mm. And 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 then how do we actually ac- accurately figure out that information? And and a lot of the time, yes, you do have to sort of use some industry standard and best yeah. guesses and estimates and and, and uh, but then okay, let's see if we can put a, a, a solution together where we actually do see it right through and actually provide proof that we've done it. And yeah. he's looking at trying to if you do if you do put the offsetting bit in place invest it into a council run project about um, let's put it into council houses where we actually put insulation in the roofs and yeah, cavity yeah, wall yeah, yeah, and yeah, all yeah, this type of stuff to like actually. The building standards. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and and, and yeah. the raised, or moss walls. and But then then actually, why do we not cut down them trees, like deforestation side of things, like yeah, stop yeah. stop buying this side of things. So it's how, how it all links together because ultimately. It's
0: tricky because we say it's a data center, so we talk about systems of systems. And it's about making the right decisions. And I see number of ones where it's like, right, we've built a data center and it's going to have a living wall and it's going to have a moat and it's going to have like solar panels. And we're like, well, that's wicked. Have you looked at the IT hardware though to see if you could opt? No, no, thank you. Yeah. But, but that 65% of your energy draw is is right there. Now a good, mate. We've we've put um, flowers on the outside of the building. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's, the like, big,
3: like, that's a big takeaway for me As businesses, they focus more on offsetting what they're doing as opposed to actually changing the yeah. core of yeah. what they're doing. Now they yeah, improve that, that.
0: absolutely. And it's, you know, I've got some stories I could tell you about, like, the government's approach to this, which sickens me um, when it comes to embracing these sort of technologies and just how bad procurement processes are to allow them to make good decisions. And this is for, like, the NHS. This is for the government. This is... And I'm sure it's not just for sustainability. I'm sure this is for better final financial management as well, where... And I hate to say this because I'm not, like... I'm not anti-government or anything like that. I think, like, it's a hard job, just to be clear. I haven't got any political leanings. Wouldn't want to do it. Mm. Like... But there's a part of it where you go, inherent corruption in power leads us to make poor decisions and i've seen that firsthand on multiple times And i'm not allowed to talk about it because it's, it's upsetting but like solutions are there to be to solve problems that people want to solve and you'll get blocked at procurement just going uh, we've got policy in place that says we can't do that yeah. you can't do the right thing we're literally not allowed to and you're right. like why not and it's because someone's taken someone for dinner on their yacht in monaco to watch the grand prix six years ago and it's now part of our procurement processes and that is that level of corruption is in every area of business, I'm saying government, but it's not just government. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's who you yeah. know in business as well, right? It's yeah. like I'm not buying from these guys because I buy from my mate who actually gives me a bit of a side hand. Do you know what I mean? It's like we see this all the time. That level of corruption is what is crippling us as a, as a, as a world. Mm. That's why we don't. That's why we don't collaborate, right? Because mm. we're worried that if we help somebody else, you know, we give someone a foot up or a stand up, we're worried that they'll stand on our face. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that lack that of collaboration is what's killing us.
3: Brilliant point. To, to end on. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time. It's been an incredible podcast. I've You're loved welcome. listening to you. Um, so thank you for taking the time it's to nice join time, us. Yeah, it's
0: been really nice. Thanks, guys.